Luke chapter 18 tonight. Luke chapter number 18. So tonight we will continue with our He Must Increase series that we began a few weeks ago. And um, just by way of, of, you know, causing our minds to process and think, um, have you noticed that when you begin to pray and ask the Lord for him to increase and you to decrease, he usually provides just the opportunity to do so. And, and it's not oftentimes one of those circumstances or settings that we welcome. And, and you don't get to choose which opportunity you, know, you want for the Lord to cause you to decrease and him to increase. He does so because he is an omniscient God. He is in control and he can use circumstances and settings in ways that um, he sees as best. And so God begins oftentimes when we say, Lord, I, I truly do want you to increase. And I know that what that means is if, if you're going to increase, there has to be a concurrent decrease of myself. And when you start to pray those things, we, we shouldn't pray with nervousness. We shouldn't, we shouldn't hesitate saying, oh, I, I don't know if I should pray this because some bad thing is going to happen. Remember who you're praying to. You're praying to a God who is good and he's going to do something good. He may use circumstances and settings, quite honestly, that we'd say, well, those, those are not good. I, f- I find that it actually magnifies the greatness of God that he can take someone else's ill intent or some other result of the fall, some other um, residual aspect of a cursed world and actually use those things to bring about you know, something for his glory that turns into our good. So my, my encouragement, of course, for myself and my encouragement for all of us is to continue to pray. Have you asked the Lord yet, Lord, in my life, would you be increasing in your visibility, in, in my pursuits of you, in those, those things that, that I lay completely you know, wholeheartedly at your feet, magnifying Jesus Christ, and then in that exchange, minimizing myself. So if you've not yet purposefully said, Lord, you must increase. This is the necessity of my life. And by that, I must decrease. Now, I also suspect that that decrease may look a lot of, it may come in a lot of different forms. It may look differently for each person. In other words, the Lord may put you in front of other people in a way that makes you woefully uncomfortable. And it's like, Lord, I I didn't, this is not the the decrease that I was talking about. And the Lord said, no, but I'm going to increase your realization for dependence on me. I mean, there, there are so many different settings and so many different scenarios that we'd be somewhat foolish to try to say, this is what it's gonna look like Um, in your situation, if he increases and you decrease. But we do know that this is a prayer that we can come before God and ask and a prayer that God wants to answer because he's seeking always to magnify Jesus. So I I don't know if you've been praying that prayer, but I, I think if you have been praying that prayer, you've probably been seeing the Lord put you in settings and circumstances that you may not have selected if it was up to you to choose, but you're trusting an all-wise, all-knowing God 
And he's doing a good work of magnifying Christ as he begins the work of minimizing self. Okay, let's, let's um, kind of jump in and I wanna do so with a question. Uh, how, many of you are, um, how many of you are yard sale folks, garage sale people? How many of you like a good garage sale? Raise your hand. How many of you say, you know, to me, all they should do is back up the truck, load the junk in the truck and haul it off to how many of you, that's you, okay. So how many of you have never been to a yard sale before? You've never been before, raise your hand. Okay, now some of you who are saying, yeah, I don't like them, but you've been, okay. So, so your, your comments are a little suspicious. Anyways, I'm, I don't know that I'm a huge yard sale guy. I don't go to a lot of them, but every year in our neighborhood, there is the annual neighborhood yard sale. <clears throat> okay, I, I think one time um, we participated, we put some stuff out and uh, someone gave us money to haul off stuff that we didn't want. It was really wonderful. So, um, so every year our neighborhood has the neighborhood yard sale. And if you were to walk around and just peruse the different offerings at the yard sale. Now I found this is true in, in places far more broad than just my neighborhood. In fact, I think this is a pretty common thread in yard sales. If you start perusing, one day Julie and I were actually out and I took note of the number of times I saw this item or these kinds of items at yard sales. And I mean, it's like you can just count on it. If you're looking for this, go to yard sales because you're going to find it. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? Here's what it is. Exercise equipment, okay? Everybody has exercise equipment for sale. And, uh, you know, they purchase it. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever sold exercise equipment at a yard sale before. And the, the other thing I'm not going to ask if you've ever bought exercise equipment at a yard sale and then sold it at yours. Okay, I don't want to know that either. But it is rather humorous the number of times you can go to a yard sale and find I mean, all different sorts, shapes, sizes, you can find exercise equipment. So why is that? And I think all of us know the answer. We, we can usually find exercise equipment because there is some good intention, but you can pay $2,000, you know, for a Bowflex and, and um, look at pictures and dream all day long. But the work of change is an uncomfortable work. The work of being transformed from one thing into another is, does not happen just because you have the necessary equipment. And when you start thinking about the work, first of all, if you start thinking about the cost that was offered to change you and I into the likeness of Jesus, the cost is profound. The Bible says purchased by his own blood. Okay not purchased to leave us as we are, but purchased to change us into a likeness that is reflective of Christ. So over the last few weeks in this series, we began by looking at what we called the prerequisites. And then we went to the priorities. And we talked last week about a pathway and that pathway really was taking up his cross and following him. And now when we, when we start to walk on that pathway, this evening, the, the matter of he must increase, I must decrease that we're gonna cover tonight 
is what we'll simply refer to as the problem. The problem. So we understand there is this equation that has to be worked out in the Christian life. He must, again, non-optional. This isn't just a good idea. This is, this is the mandate for us as believers. He must increase. I must decrease. Okay, so for this to happen, what are some of the things that start to cause the problem? This is not our text, but in 1 Peter 5, 5, the Bible says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. And here comes the problem. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. In Philippians chapter two, verse number eight, speaking of Christ and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you know in a, in a day that is promoting self, the rise of, stel, of self, we even use the, the terminology and it's, it's not new, but we talk about the, their, their star is rising. We speak about that in political ways. We speak about it in terms of celebrity. We talk about it regarding matters of skill that, wow, that person's really on the rise and we seek it. We, we wanna be, we think we wanna be known. We, we want approval. We, we want our name to be recognized. There is something about this. You know, I, I, am, I am trying to position myself for the greatest amount of exposure possible. But we don't hear a lot today about the, the thing that would be its opposite. And that is those who will by choice humble themselves. We know that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. One day there will be a right understanding of ourselves in relationship to Jesus. But there's an invitation prior to the day that a knee is forcibly bent. And that is an invitation to humble ourselves. So what is it in this, in this equation of he must increase, I must decrease, what is it that gets in the way? Well, the problem, of course, you and I could fill in the blank for the word. The problem is pride. Your Bibles are open right now to Luke chapter 18. Look at verse number 10. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse number 10. Again, in not an unfamiliar passage, but it says two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now he said words, but he was not talking to God. By the way, how, how helpfully instructive this is, even when we pray in a public fashion, to speak to the one to whom we are addressing, not those that are to be joining us in prayer. But two men went up, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess, verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not 
lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone. Again, that's an unescapable truism for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself, this is, this is an eternal principle that we can't get around. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We know that there are two types of worshipers in this temple in Jerusalem. And, and we can assume that there would be two types here in this gathering today and what we call the local church. Just two types of worshipers. Two types then, two types today. When we read this passage of scripture, we oftentimes find ourselves, I thank thee that I am not as the Pharisee. Now think through the dynamic of what's presented. The Pharisee saying with himself, praying to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as this publican. I'm not as other men are. They're extortioners, they're wicked, they're liars. I thank thee that I am not like them, nor even like this publican. And sometimes I find myself saying, as I read this passage of scripture, God, wow, I am so thankful that I am not as this Pharisee. And even by my, my mental admission, I thank thee that I am not as this Pharisee, I'm identifying with the wrong person in the story. What I should be doing is saying, oh God, Whew. as much as I hate to admit it, as much as it is humbling to say, God, I, I don't wanna say thank you, but I am the publican. God, who am I to come before you with anything but my sin and my brokenness and my shame? My value is found in another in whose righteousness I stand. Oh God, if I want to identify with anybody, I have to see that so often I am the Pharisee, but God, help me to see that truly you're looking for the one who has humbled himself before you and I am to be the publican, not thanking you that I am not the Pharisee. Pride's ultimate goal is to preserve, to protect and to promote self. It is then robbing God of the glory that belongs exclusively solely to him alone. Pride was birthed with the original sin when Lucifer attempted to ascribe glory to himself that belonged only to God. And pride continues to be the great divide between God and man today. So as we begin, what is the problem of pride? What is the problem of pride? If we we're trying to give some definition to this problem. It is that which defends and commends self while it offends and contends with God. It's that which defends and commends self while it offends and contends with God. Pride resists instruction and submission. It is often hidden when indulged and flares up when its demands are denied. 
It easily finds faults in others and struggles to give genuine praise. It is hellish in every form. And while pride may take the form of contending for supremacy with others, it is ultimately a dissatisfaction with the way we want things done. It works continually to please and promote self. Pride may take many forms, but its goal is always the exaltation of self. Self must win. In Proverbs chapter eight, verse number 13, the Bible says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth, God speaking, wisdom personified, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, the forward mouth, do I hate. God's hatred for pride is pure and it comes as a result of his holiness. It is that which makes him actively, positionally, and constantly opposed to those who succumb to pride. Remember James chapter four, verse number six, God resisteth the proud. He resisteth. Now God has taken a position that is standing against, we, we, are, we are fighting against God himself when we stand in the place of pride. The word resisteth, God resisteth the proud. It means that God not only opposes the, pride, the prideful, he positions himself against this person walking in pride. Resisteth means to oppose as in battle. Who here wants to go to battle against God? Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, evangelist, reformer, Jonathan Edwards called pride the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. He ranked pride as the most difficult sin to root out. He said further, it is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. What a foolish, silly, miserable, blind, deceived, poor worm am I when pride works. One man wrote, pride ruins pastors and churches more than any other. Another man said, pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its siege its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is it feeds on goodness. What are the characteristics then of pride? Okay, how do we start to know, oh, someplace pride is in the mix. So if we're to just stand back and evaluate a setting, a circumstance, a situation, is it possible to look at the dynamics of what's going on around us and stand back and be able to say, whoa, I don't know all that's going on, but I do recognize there is something in this mix that has to do with pride. What are some of these characteristics? Well, first of all, pride is deceptive. Pride is deceptive. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Obadiah 1.3, the Bible says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. In other words, I'm blinded. I'm not seeing things as they truly are. I'm being by pride deceived. 
Thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rocks, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? What this person is saying is, I am safe and secure. No one can touch me here. Well, clearly this person is deceived. Pride is deceptive. Its powers blind us to the truth. It is the lens of the soul that distorts our vision of others. It distorts our view of God. Pride distorts our view of authority and pride distorts our view of ourself. Its deceptive powers are the birthplace of rebellion. Okay, remember, some of you would be able to recall this. If we said, hey, give us a three word definition of rebellion, what would that look like to you? So I think there are people in here that would, would have a three word definition for rebellion. Anybody just out of curiosity, it's just us. Anybody, let's go to the balcony just to see if the balcony is, is here tonight. So uh, balcony, anybody in the balcony have a three word definition for rebellion? Anybody raise your hand and I'll be able to maybe see it. If you have a three word definition, anybody? Balcony, you're getting a chance here. Balcony. We're very disappointed. Okay, so, so anybody else? Three word definition. Okay, we have a couple offerings here. So let's start on the, we went from the balcony to the front row. Okay, three word definition. Okay, that's a good definition. It's not the one I'm looking for, but I like it. He said, my own way. That's a good definition. I'm gonna write that one down. Okay, that's a good definition. All right, somebody else. Three word definition for, for rebellion. Three words. Way over here. Separate from God, another good one. Guys can make a good outline from this. Another one, no way, man. No, I'm not going with that one, okay, so. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Yeah, Dr. Vanaha, okay, he just nailed it. It is believing a lie. Rebellion, three-word definition, believing a lie. Okay, so if, if, Pride is one of those um, like pathway sins to rebellion. Why is it such a good fit? Well, because pride is deceptive and rebellion is exactly the same. Rebellion causes us to believe lies and, and there has to be in some way, shape or form um, pride connected to the same. So what is it? What are some of the characteristics? It's deceptive. Number two, it's destructive. It's destructive. Pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. It's destructive. Okay, now remember, there is something about pride that just says this, this is not gonna touch me. So obviously there's some deception that's taking place. It's destructive. All those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. I mean, it does a work of destroying those who walk in pride. This is just a, this is one of the, the stories that was birthed from the civil war. This was during a battle that they called the Battle of the Wilderness. And there was a Union general, his name was John Sedgwick. And Sedgwick was out inspecting his troops on the battlefield. And at one point he came to this, um, this parapet, this, this uh, outcropping of rocks. And Sedgwick is standing out there. He is reviewing the troops and his officers suggested to Sedgwick, they said, it is unwise 
for you to be in this position. Perhaps you ought to come away from this exposed position. Sedgwick said, nonsense. They couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. And they did hit Sedgwick from that distance. And Sedgwick fell at that moment, mortally wounded from the battle, a gunshot from the enemy. They couldn't hit an elephant from this. There's something about pride that is so blinding and ultimately destructive to the person who walks in the same. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Pride will destroy your testimony. It will destroy your service. It will destroy your genuine graciousness. It destroys a marriage. It destroys our peace. It destroys our usefulness. It has destroyed many churches. What are the characteristics of pride? It's it's deceptive, it's destructive. It's also devouring. In other words, it consumes. The Bible says, Jeremiah 50, verse 32, and the most proud shall stumble and fall and none shall raise him up. And I will kindle a fire against his cities and it shall devour all round about him. Who is being devoured? The most proud who stumble and fall. Benjamin Franklin wrote in his autobiography these words. There's perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I should conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. What is pride? It is devouring. What is pride? It is divisive. It is divisive. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says this. It says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Only by pride cometh contention. Okay, so this was years ago when I was a youth pastor and we would take mission trips, teen mission trips, we would always memorize about 10 passages of scripture that we really wanted to focus on through the course of the trip. And so every missions trip participant, every missions team member, they had to memorize those verses. They had to say the verses word perfect before the trip commenced, okay? So, so this passage was one of the passages, Proverbs 13.10. And I'd have them say the verse, and so they would say, uh, Proverbs 13.10. Uh, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And I'd say, okay, question. Now, if on our missions trip, you know, we start on our missions trip and there's some, some issue going on and there's people kind of button heads and, and there's some issue that, that is happening. What do you think is gonna be the cause of that? And I'm not kidding you. This happened over and over and over again. So what do you think is causing that? And they'd say, oh, it's a good question. Oh man, probably like somebody's being a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But if you boiled it right down, what do you think is the issue? I don't know, misunderstanding, you know? Um, Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, okay, go ahead and quote the verse again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Good. Okay, so again, like if there's some issue on the trip between you and somebody else, So what do you think is gonna be one of the contributing primary factors? 
Man, I told you, a lot of things, you know, a lot of things. Quote the verse again, okay? <laughs> Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is when he starts to get a little testy with me, you know? And so what do you think is the issue if people have contention? I don't know, dude. <laughs> Only by pride. Okay, thank you, finally. Okay, what is pride? It's divisive. Okay, it is the source of contention and of a contentious spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, proud and haughty scorner, proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. Like a person who just explodes, but the thing behind the explosion is pride. The wrath found here in scripture means an outburst. It means that which flows out of you naturally because pride is flowing within you. The word wrath means overflowing fury. It means an outburst. Like that person just blows up. Sometimes we use this as such a, a poor excuse. Well, that's just kind of how I operate. You know, I just blow up and then, and then I'm all done. I got everything out, you know. Well, you probably, first of all, didn't get everything out. You just had for a momentary pause, your, your pride satisfied. What is it that pride brings about? It is divisive. Next, it is defying. It is defying to Almighty God. Exodus chapter 10, verse number three. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Okay, so Moses and Aaron come in before Pharaoh. They're about to appeal to him and they have a message for Pharaoh from God. And God's message through Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh is, Pharaoh, how long? When will you finally make the choice to humble yourself before God? Don't you find it at least confounding in your mind why a guy like Pharaoh, when Moses offers to take the frogs away that have actually just permeated every aspect of living in Egypt, and Pharaoh can't say, take them away now. Pharaoh, because of the pride of his heart, has to say, yeah, you can take them away tomorrow. And now God sends a message to Pharaoh through Aaron and Moses. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Pride then in some way, shape or form becomes like this proverbial fist in the air of man that is attempting to shake it in the face of God. It is defying. Jonathan Edwards wrote a powerful sermon that is titled simply Undetected Pride. If you started to think about, okay, what are the patterns in my life then? patterns in my life of pride. What did he identify? Let's just hit these briefly. First of all, fault finding. How do I know if this kind of, these characteristics of pride are, are finding themselves in me? Okay, what are some of the patterns that we start to see? We start to find fault everywhere. We, we start to find, when we are looking at another person in pride, we start to find all kinds of faults in them. And it's so easy to detect them. 
I mean, of, of all the eyes, certainly everybody sees this. And now those things that may not have been issues to us before, and they might not be issues with us with other people, but because we're looking at that person through this lens of pride, man, we start to find all kinds of issues with them. The spiritually proud person shows it in his finding faults with other saints. The eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home, Edward said, and sees so much evil in his own that he is not apt to be very busy with the hearts of others. What is one of those characteristics? Wow, we, we find fault in others very easily. Number two, a harsh spirit, a harsh spirit. Again, Edward said, Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them. When we see, listen, I am, I, I am just a worm before God. I ought to treat the others who hold the same position with as much graciousness and deference with the gentleness with which I am being treated by almighty God. What are some of those patterns of undetected pride? Superficiality. We become very superficial. That there is no depth because we're interested first and foremost in the exterior. We don't really care what's behind the facade. We just want to protect the facade. Defensiveness. Again, Edwards, for the humble Christian, the more the world is against him, the more silent and still he will be. Unless it is in his prayer closet and there he will not be still. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that the Christian who is walking humbly before his God is not trying to continually defend himself. He says, Lord, you are my defense. You are my shield, you are my portion. And they don't go about constantly trying to make excuses for their own failures, nor for their own successes. So one of the things that, again, Edwards, you know, he defines, he, he targets, he says, there's this constant spirit of defensiveness. Why are you asking me that? I mean, it's, it's like nobody can even ask us a question. Man, do I see that in, in my own life at times? Like if, if my wife just asked me a question, hey, hey, babe, um, why did you do that? Man, I kind of rear up so quickly. And why are you asking? Defensiveness, because some spirit of pride has taken root. And how dare someone question my intents, my motives, my decisions? Presumption before God. What's Edward say? Presumption before God. <clears throat> This is simply forgetting God's eminent position, his right to do what he wants to do with what is his. We begin to treat God as if he owes us something rather than understanding we owe him our all. We get a little presumptuous with God, as in God, hey, I, I talked to you about this already, or God, I'm starting to question, or God, here's what you need to do, as if we fully understand the grand plan of God. Next pattern, desperation for attention. Desperation for attention. Man, I'll, I will tell you, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to this. And so I'm not bashing it. And you haven't heard me preach a ton about it. But if you want a modern day example of those that are desperate for attention, 
then social media becomes a fitting platform to demonstrate the same. And what can I do? What can I post? How much can I show? What act can I participate in so that someone will grant me the focus of attention that I am desiring? Man, this constant desperation for attention. Pride is hungry for attention. And, and then let's, let's not leave it there exclusively because sometimes the, the, the prideful person is the person who is trying to be the center of attention in the room. Like, every, hey, everybody, look at me, so to speak, the loud, the boisterous. But isn't it also interesting, a person equally as prideful can be the sulker in the corner. And the person who has the, 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 the sad, sorry look on their face and life is so difficult for me and, and notice how hard my life is. And, and so now they're gonna sulk in the corner until they get the attention they're looking for. And while it may, may come about through a different set of circumstances, the root cause is all the same. And then the seventh one that he mentioned is neglecting others. It's looking for the, who you may deem to be the most important person in the room. It's a person who's constantly trying to figure out who is the person that can get me to the next level? Who is the person that, that will get me in the right circle? Who is the person that I want to be seen with? Who is the person that I wanna be able to say, yeah, I had coffee with them or I know them or I have their number or whatever. It doesn't matter like who is the most needful person in the room or who is it that God's you know, calling me to minister to in the room. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., a friend of mine works in, in D.C. He's the legislative director for uh, the American Association of Christian Schools, uh, Mr. Jameson Coppola. And, and Mr. Coppola will tell you there is a, a D.C. shake. It's, it's, it happens like this. They, they come up to you and they extend their hand to shake your hand. But as they shake their hand and say, good to see you, they're always looking just over your shoulder for who do they really wanna be with in the room. And it's the person as, as evidenced by some spirit of pride who neglects many for the sake of the one for the advancement of self. This is purposeful tonight and I apologize for it but we're, we're not gonna really fully wrap up. Where do we go from here? There is a prayer, what we might call a prescription for pride. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6, one of the most wonderful invitations offered to us by a God who doesn't have to offer it, but he extends the invitation to humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We'll address in the next message
the pathway of humility.